This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Matthew chapter 6. We've been talking, uh, or at least last week we talked about uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. We talked about God's big three, the three things, first half of that prayer, the three things that God wants you to pray every week. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those three things that Jesus commanded his uh, followers to pray every single day. We talked about that. We, we've kind of gotten too used to seeing that prayer, hearing that prayer. We've gotten too used to, to hearing it, and, and we kind of just go blow through the reality of it. But there, there, there's, there's more there. There's meat there. There's something there in the, that prayer that Jesus is trying to do on the inside of us, and he's trying to change us so that we are, are more shaped into the character of Christ. Do we learn a lot when we adapt those first three things? So God's big three is what we talked about last time. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those three things, to, to think that, that our lives are devoted to, being, uh, to hallowing the name, to being intersecting with the kingdom of God, and to having the will of God flow through us, and that's, that's a part of that, that submissiveness that we find there. So today we're looking at the last half of that prayer, the last three aspects of that, which these are more earthly-centered, that while those are the God's big three, these are our deepest needs. And so, uh, and so when Jesus asks us to pray for these things, these are your top three needs. You may have a million other ones, but yet these are your top three needs, whether you recognize them as your top three needs or not. So we find this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Let me ask that God would give you the spiritual gift of amnesia for a moment and that you would forget that you ever heard this prayer, and now that you would hear it for the very first time, and that you would hear the disciples saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray, because we don't know how to pray. Our prayer lives stink. And then Jesus says this, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your deepest needs. The first one is your daily bread. And I think we should just stop and give God thanks that he's not carb-free. Aren't you glad he didn't say your keto diet? Aren't you glad? I'm so glad that God is not carb-free. So, uh, daily bread. The assumption is that we have prayed those first three, three petitions. We've gained the heart of God. We understand that the purpose of our living is that we're living to make sure that everyone around us knows God's name is holy, We're living so that the will of God and the kingdom of God can flow through us. And now, in that, having submitted ourselves to the priorities of God, having submitted ourselves to the the function of God and his kingdom, we now recognize that that we have needs. And 
you have to, you have to eat, right? Come on, it's getting close to noon. It's, you have to eat, right? Well, if you can't amen that, I don't know. You're not going to have much fun in the sermon, I tell you what. You have to eat. There has to be the ability to eat. I mean, we have to have it. Uh, I read, heard a country song this week. It reminded me of something my dad told me when I was young. He said, we're all 17 days away from starvation. That without water and food, we could, the most we could last is 17 days. Nobody in here is going to live longer than that. No one, you know, maybe a few of us live a little shorter than that. But, but if, if, if push came to shove, that's what it would be. We, we, we were all 17 days away from meeting our maker, starving to death. And we need God. We need God. So in this Don Henley song, uh, I'll just read it to you as a poem, sort of. Uh, Don, I don't know, Don Henley, you know him. So, something's different. Something's changed. I don't know what even the old folks can't recall when it's ever been this hot and dry. Dust devils whirling on the first day of July. It's 100 degrees at 10 a.m., not a cloud up in the sky. We hardly had a winter, had about a week of spring. The crops are burned up in the fields. There's a blanket of dust on everything. The weatherman is saying that there ain't no change in sight. Lord, I've been, never been a praying man, but I'm saying one tonight. I'm praying for rain. I'm praying for rain. Lord, I never ask for much, and I don't mean to complain, but I'm praying for rain. I ain't no wise man, but I ain't no fool. I believe that Mother Nature has taken us to school. Maybe we just took too much and put too little back. It isn't knowledge, it's humility we lack. I'm praying for rain. I'm praying for rain. Lord, I, I ain't never asked for much, and I don't mean to complain, but I'm praying for rain. Some people pray for victory, and some people pray for peace. Some people pray for extra time. Some people pray for sweet release. Some pray for health and happiness, for riches and renown, but nothing, none of this will matter much if the waters don't come down. I'm praying for rain. We are very close. We are on the razor's edge. There's something about a farmer that recognizes that we are on the razor's edge of starvation. We don't see that because we live in a, in a land that imports their fruit from Chile in the wintertime, and so there's always abundance in the colorful vegetation in the, in the uh, grocery stores. But if the earth would decide to shake us up a little bit, if the Lord would try to withhold the rain from us, if these things would, would, would happen, we are just a hair's breadth away from annihilation. And I don't mean to be afraid of that. I want us to be aware of that because we have to, we have to recognize this is our primary need. We have to live it. Some people pray for victory. Some people pray for wisdom. Some people pray for all these things. But none of that means anything. If we can't eat, that's the truth. You can't feed your. If you've ever had a chance where you don't, you can't feed your babies. You know, that's the most important thing on the face of the earth. Right then, at that moment, doesn't make a difference if the kingdom comes or not. That's the most important thing. So Jesus directs his people that in the midst of this to recognize that we live on the hair's breadth. We live on the hair's breadth between annihilation and survival. And Jesus recognized to see 
what that is that we have. We have this ability to pray and ask God for sustenance. That God would give us food. Daily bread. The actual term there is the bread for the morrow. The, t- the bread, the assumption is you prayed yesterday and you have food for today. The, pr- the bread you're praying for today is for tomorrow. Tomorrow's bread. That's how God likes to feed His people. Remember the, the, the people in the desert and the, and the manna coming down. Every day the people in the desert, the manna coming down, the people had to go out and gather. And there's a certain sense in which that's a, a humility thing, certain, a submission thing. A recognition of your own weakness. Yes, it's easy in our day and age where we go to work and we put in our time and then the boss bypasses us altogether and puts our, our check into our account without us ever having it. But, you know, it's just deposited in our check. We never see it. It's easy for us to kind of figure that, that God's not involved in that. But the reality of it is God is our source and our supply. I was reading uh, in Isaiah 26, verse 12. It talks about there, all that we have done, they say, you have done for us. In other words, there's a part, divine partnership that we work every day. We work hard like it depends on us, and we pray hard like it depends on God. We do what we can do, and then we depend, pray like it all depends on God. And, if, and in, the, in the, the coming together of those two things, we live our life. So Jesus says the very first thing, the, most, the thing you need more than anything else is bread. You've got to eat. He recognizes, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, I'm so grateful that you don't, to be spiritual is, is, does not mean you have to ignore the physical physicality that we have. Uh, I like to eat. I don't know about you. I like to eat bread. I mean, I, 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 can, I can eat bread all, all day long. Good bread is good. Right? Right? I'm the guy that when the basket hits, you know, you have anything you'd like to order? Yes. First, bring that basket of bread, some oil, some cheese over to this table. Let's sit down. Let's talk. We'll talk about all these other things. I'm going to sop up some of that oil, sop up some of that cheese. I'm going to eat that bread. Hey, can you come back and bring me another basket of bread? Right? Well, can I take your order? Yeah, my first order is go get more bread. That's what we want. We live. This is our, this is our, our, our living. This is, and, and I don't think it's necessarily, you know, some people look at, point at this and say this prayer for bread is actually a prayer of simplicity. Um, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us ever to pray for a porterhouse steak. But come on, I like a porterhouse steak. Come on now. But, but, I mean, maybe there's a humility here that says, Lord, all we need is all we need. So if, if, if you want to give us more than that, that's great. But we're, we're grateful for this, what you've given to us. Too many people rush into their meal, shove it in, hit the road running, and take off. And they think they're being, uh, they think they're being, uh, 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 think that's a good use of their time. But there's something powerful about saying, thank you, God, for these meager rations. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. Every year I go camping and fishing up in Canada with my boys. And, uh, and when we go out there, we bring, because there's six of us that go, we bring six apples and six oranges. And so, you know, and we're out there for about five days. So, so we have to squeeze in. So we don't want to get scurvy or anything like that. So we want to eat some fruit while we're out there. And so I, I remember one day specifically we stopped and we were at this, 
this, um, on this little rock in the middle of the, the, the lake. And as we were sitting there, we cracked open an apple. Split the apple between somebody and me. I don't remember who it was. And I was eating this apple, and I was like, this is like the nectar of the gods. I mean, it was just something about the fresh outdoors, something about them. It was an apple that was from back here in one of our stores here. But something about that makes that taste so good. And I, you know what I think it was? I think it was because I was eating it slowly, because I had no pressure, because it was simple food and good food. And as I was eating it, it was clean, it was, it was green, it was, it was something I could eat. And as I'm eating that, I was, I was like, this is good. This is good. This is wonderful. We need those moments. There's something hallowed about that moment when you gather around the table with your family and you hold hands at the beginning of that meal and you bow your head. And no matter what's on that plate, you bow your head and you say, thank you, God. You are the source of everything I have. Nothing I have has been given to me by my own hard work alone. It's, it's you, Lord. You are our provider. You are the one who gives us sustenance. You have been gracious with everything that you have given to us. I'm ble more blessed than I could ever need to be blessed. And as we give thanks to that, something overwhelming happens in us and our acknowledgement of who God is and what he is to us is awakened on the inside. Jesus says we're supposed to pray that way every day. I, I get blessed when I'm eating in a restaurant and I look over and there's a family that bows their head and prays before a meal. Uh, I don't understand waitresses who always bring ketchup right in, the middle of the, right in the middle of your prayer. What is that? Is that they come over you're saying, and dear Jesus, and they're like, anything else I can get you? Yeah, shut up. We're praying. But, but there's something powerful about Praying and giving God thanks for what you have. Jesus is saying we need to recognize that every day we need to recognize that we're at the whim of God. We're at the mercy of God. And when you live your life in that way, when you live your life in that manner, when you recognize that, there, that, that everything else could go wrong, but God is there for you. I mean, it's, a good, it's good news. You know, the good news of this is it's God's will that he provide for you. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, every day I want you to pray for provision. That means, my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. You can say that with absolute clarity. I don't know what God's will is for your future or your job or who you're supposed to marry, but I do know it's God's will for you to eat today. And we should give thanks for that. We should be thankful for that. And we should recognize that that, that perfect provision that God has for us is amazing. It's amazing. I'm excited. Lunch is just right around the corner. <laughs> it's amazing that God would provide everything to us. We have been blessed. Sometimes my wife doesn't understand how I can open up a can of spam and then ask God to bless it. <laughs> but I personally like spam. It may not be good for me. I get that. I understand that. God never backed up a whole truck of spam, but every once in a while there's a can that falls miraculously into the cart and comes back to the house with us. And since the Lord has provided, 
God's good. This prayer is so powerful that Jesus wants us to pray it every day, to be thankful every day. Something about the people of God that should be thankful for little things. Look in the eyes of your children and thank God for their life today. Someone has already talked about keeping your, your list short so you can make things right today. That brings us to the second thing that Jesus prays, tells us to pray. Pray that your debts will be forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The good news is, you know, Jesus recognizes that we are going to be sinners every single day. So again, this is a daily prayer. Your sin isn't in your past. Your past is your past. You're not defined by your past. I get that. But you have more sin than just the stuff that's in your past. Somebody say, yeah, I do. I got sin every day. So every day I have to come before the Lord. Every day I say, Lord, forgive me my debts today as I forgive those who are are indebted to me. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the things. The second most important thing you need besides life is spiritual life. And without forgiveness, we have no spiritual life. We are in need of daily forgiveness. Jesus knew that. He made provision for that. In the prayer, he says, listen, you need to pray every day that your sins are washed away, that your sins are forgiven, that the slate is cleaned again. And it's, it's not, you know, it's again, it's, a good, it's good news. Jesus had expectation that you were going to be imperfect and yet acknowledge that there's no sense in which Jesus would ever give us this prayer if he thought that someday you were going to be perfect. He recognizes that until you die, you will always be in need of forgiveness. And there's something about forgiveness that when we're asking for forgiveness every day, it humbles us so that when others come and ask forgiveness from us, we have a fresh remembrance from that very morning or that very evening of how much we needed forgiveness. It's amazing to me how religious folk are. We'll be, sit, we'll be in church. We are always, we're all about forgiveness in church. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank God for his grace. Amen? Amen. The rankest sinner can come in and stand amongst them and say, God can save you, you know. But on the way out to our car, we'll look at them and say, they did it to themselves. Right? Don't we say that? They did it to themselves. That was their choice. They did that to themselves. They put themselves in a place of that addiction. They were an overeater. They did all those things. They're an alcoholic. They did that. Their own action did that. And we begin to justify. But it's really hard to do that when you were at the altar this morning asking for your everyday forgiveness. Lord, here I am for my daily dose. My bread and my forgiveness, I'm asking here for a daily dose of forgiveness because I remember Saturday was just yesterday and there's some things that happened Saturday that I need to get a grip on, Lord. So I ask you for forgiveness. And when I'm keenly aware of the need for my life to be transformed and for my, and you know, there's a lot of things that the Lord can say if he wanted to, well, you did that to yourself. Right? This thing right here. I did that all by myself. I have all kinds of sins that, 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 that I fall into, things that are not good for me. Spam, we mentioned previously. Do I need to go any further than that? Things that I mentioned earlier that, that, that we, 
we, we do, and then we ask God for forgiveness, and when we ask God for forgiveness, we're supposed to be getting more than, whoo, glad that's over with. We're supposed to be getting an awareness that we are broken, we are fragile, we are needy, and we need to submit to God. And when you walk through life, fully grateful for everything that God gives you. And when you recognize that you are broken, fragile, and needy, and you're walking through life, it's very easy to love and forgive somebody else because you recognize they too have things that they need to be forgiven. And we can be forbearing with one another. We can be dealing with other people's business. We can be, we can be patient with them as, as, as they are because God is patient with us. And so, and so, yeah, they did it, and so did we. But God is gracious God is gracious, and he reaches down into our life, and he says, listen, there's some stuff we got to talk about, but I want you to know I'm going to forgive that. People who fail to ask forgiveness lose track of their hum humanity. They, they, they become, when, when your past is in your past, and you quit asking every day for forgiveness, you begin to lose track of who you were, and in fact, who you really are, and so you lose that awareness of that frailty. We find out that in the Bible that if, if we have faith, but we don't forgive, our faith is phony. Right after this, he says, if you, do, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, once you're aware of your need for forgiveness, it's easier to forgive other people. But if you are become recalcitrant and hard, hardened towards those those sins in your own life, then you, it's harder for you to for, forgive others. And when you don't forgive others, then you, you limit God's ability to forgive you. You remember, uh, Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 18, and he says, Lord, if someone comes to me multiple times in the same day and asks, you know, and, 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 and asks for forgiveness, how many times should I, should I forgive him? Seven? Now, Peter is thinking he's being pretty slick because Jesus has already said that. In Luke, he said, if somebody sins against you seven times in a day, forgive him seven times. Now, that's a lot, right? Just imagine your kid comes in and, you know, you say, hey, I want you to run in the kitchen, but don't touch that bottle over there in the corner of the kitchen. And they come out five minutes later and they say, oh, I touched the bottle. And you say, because you realize that you didn't raise the smartest kid in the world, you say, oh, Nito, you know, uh, I know you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Just run in there and get that, and don't touch the bottle this time. And they come back out on the second time. And then they say, touch the bottle again. And then you say, pobrecito, listen, uh, go back in there and, and, and go, go in there and, and, and touch, don't touch the bottle. And the third time they come out. And then the fourth time they come out. And the fifth time they come out. And the sixth time they come out. The seventh time you say, what is the matter with? Right? Because it's unthinkable. You know, when, when Jesus said in Luke to his disciples, yeah, I want you to forgive seven times in one day. You know what they said, what their response was? Lord, increase our faith. Right? That's a prayer every parent prays over their children. Lord, increase my faith. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Increase my faith. But Peter now comes to 
out to Jesus, and he's trying, he thinks he's outsmarted the, the Lord, which is always dangerous. And then he walks out there and says, how many times should I, should I forgive him? Seven? And then Jesus looks over and, and makes a new rule just for Peter, the smart aleck. And he says, oh, 70 times seven. 70 times seven, 490 times. 490 times. Think about, just think about that. You had better be fully aware of your own brokenness if you're going to forgive somebody 490 times. And yet every person in here has been forgiven more than 490 times in their lifetime for what they did in their life. Why? Because we're supposed to be a vessel that carries with us the very character of God. And the only way that can be brought and poured into us is if we can crack the shell of our hardness of our heart. And if we acknowledge, I'm broken. I'm, I'm a failure. I've, I'm a hurt. I'm wounded. I, I have all these issues. And God says, finally, you admit you have issues. Let me pour out my grace into your heart so that you can be healed and so that you can heal others with the grace that I pour out through you. But when we walk around and we think our stuff doesn't stink, then all of a sudden, you know, we look like Pharisees. Third thing that Jesus tells us to pray for is deliverance. Lead us not into temptation. A very confusing verse, really. Because why would God bring us into temptation? It helps to know that the word there in the Greek for temptation is periosmos. That word is the word for testing. So when he says, lead us not into temptation, there's a difference really between temptation and testing. It can be translated either way. But lead us not into temptation, or lead us not into testing, is more likely the way it's supposed to be interpreted. So lead us not into testing is more likely the way it should be interpreted. The temptation is, is set up, like my wife said to me just the other day, she said, you know, when I went to bed, there were three zesty lemon cupcakes sitting on the counter. Three. And I'm like, yeah, what's your point? Now there's only two zesty lemon cupcakes. It's as if my wife, or Satan, could be, <laughs> set the cupcakes out there where I could see them. Now listen, I'll be honest with this. This could be the devil because my wife has a stash of chocolate. I know where it's at. She has a cabinet with a bowl that sits higher than I can see. And I know, if I just reach up there, there's all kinds of chalk-covered stuff in there. Good stuff. It's like emergency stuff that she uses for emergencies. And, and, uh, and I'm not supposed to have that stuff, and so she puts that away there. But here, some demon put these right on the counter as if the very purpose was to make me stumble and fall. That is temptation. The very purpose of temptation is to make you stumble and fall. But ask any teacher what testing is. Testing is not designed to make you fall or fail. Testing is designed to show how far you've grown, what you have learned, how, how, how mature you've become. 
So that's the purpose of testing. So when we pray, Lord, lead me not into testing, first of all, you know he's going to lead you into testing because he always leads you into testing. But the, the question is whether he's going to lead you in and out of the test, right? The, the issue is he's going to bring you in and through it, through the test. He's not going to abandon you, and he certainly hasn't set you up for failure. He's bringing you into the place of testing so that you will demonstrate who you are. And so when you, if you fail, and if and when you fail, that you'll recognize Wow, I really blew it. I've got more work to do. Come on, I'm, you've had that acknowledgement. Like, wow, I can't believe I fell into that again. That's hard to believe, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, they were zesty lemon cupcakes. <laughs> I needed to eat the zesty lemon cupcakes. I don't really know if I can taste zesty lemon cupcakes. Turns out I can't. And so I think the word zesty was a little bit Exaggerated. Yeah, a little over-exaggerated there, because I, I couldn't taste the zest. In my defense. Deliverance. Deliverance is what we're praying for. Deliver us from the evil one. We are in over our head. The devil is smarter than us. The devil is stronger than us. The devil is wiser than us. We're in over our head without Jesus leading us through the temptation process, through the, the testing process, without Jesus walking us through. It's hard to be a Christian in this day and age. I mean, it's like if you just stood there, you're just, your mind is just assailed with stuff. You know, I have, a, I have a Bible app on my phone that I can play the Bible so that my, through my stereo in my truck, it reads the Bible back to me. It's reading the, the Word of God is filling my ears. And I can be driving out of the city, but I'm still assailed by gentleman club advertisements that are along the side of every highway coming in and out of the city. You know, it's, not, it's everywhere, wherever you are. There's, there's, there's sin oppor sinful opportunities everywhere you go. And so we need the Lord to be with us. So we, and so this then, again, in fact, there's a kind of a parallel between Israel and the desert and between what Jesus is asking us to pray. The people of God in the Old Testament where God is asking them, or they had to pray for deliverance, they had to pray for forgiveness, they had to, you know, they had to pray for the sustenance, they wanted bread and the desert manna. So all these things. So, so when, we, when we find ourselves kind of in the historic position of the people of God, where we're recognizing, I need you to provide bread for me, Lord. I mean, uh, sometimes you just balance your budget and you realize, I got more month than money. You know, so you need a miracle. But there, uh, then there's other, you have to have God's deliverance carry, carry you out through the circumstances and give you the ability to overcome the evil one who's coming at you. So that keeps you, now remember, this is a daily prayer. Again, I keep driving that point home. If you haven't figured that out by now, you're, you're not very smart. Anyway, so <laughs> it's a daily prayer. I didn't mean to call you stupid, but... The shoe fits, Cinderella. I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, uh, so, but the, the issue is you have to be, you have to every day, you're saying, Good Lord, help me because the devil wants to kill me. Help me because the devil wants to ruin my ministry. Help me because the devil wants to take my family. Help me because the things that, uh, that I value sometimes are not the things that you value. Help me, God. Deliver me from evil. And when we bring ourselves, each of these steps is a step of submission. That's the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. 
I submit to hallowing your name. I submit to your kingdom coming. I submit to your will being done in my life and in the, in the life of those around me. I submit to the fact that you're the boss of my bread. I, su- I submit to the fact that you're, you're the one who is going to deliver me from this evil. I submit to you, Lord, that I'm f- flawed and failed and I need forgiveness. I submit to you. This is who I am. This is an acknowledgement of who I am. Every day I pray this. Every day as I pray this. It breaks me down. Now think how contrary this is to what the world does. The world postures itself. I told you a couple weeks ago, a couple people actually said to me, I tried that whole posturing thing. I don't think it works. But some books, they'll say, some, you remember, somebody remembers Supermaning when I was talking about Supermaning? When you stand in the, in the, before you go into your office, or maybe just as you get in the office, you stand in the Superman position. You assume this position, and you hold that position to give yourself an awareness that you're going to fight today for truth and justice in the American way. It's called supermaning. People do this. Some high-powered executive that makes more than all of us put together in this room. Tomorrow morning, we'll stand like this in his office. Hopefully not in tights. And <laughs> Superman, get his head around it. But the world wants us to feel how big and powerful we are. Jesus says, acknowledge, you can't provide bread. You need forgiveness. <laughs> You're broken and the devil's smarter than you. Just acknowledge that. Oh, okay, it doesn't sound very powerful. What, what position would that be? Groveling? Okay, Lord, this is who I am. But that's what we say. That's what we mean when we say Lord. Lord is not his first name. Lord is his title. And Jesus Christ is not everyone's Lord. He's only some people's Lord. When you declare him Lord, you're saying, I will do whatever you say. I am what you say I am. I will do what you tell me to do. I submit the reins of my life to you, Jesus. And by submitting the reins of my life to you, I recognize that at the end of it, the most important thing is that I will have pleased you. That you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the most important thing. That's what it means to be a Christian. If the church lived like that, come on, just imagine with me for a minute. If the church lived like that, what a powerful force we would be on the earth. The problem is so few of us really embrace that in our everyday life. Oh, in church, we, 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 we've learned in church how to raise our hands, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, raise our hands, you know, do all that stuff. But we haven't really learned how to live a life that looks like the Lord's Prayer. Father, would you help us today? Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.boroughandag.org.
Thank you, and God bless.